following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning we begin, and honestly, I, I can't believe it, uh, that we're starting the Advent season, that we're here and we are looking at uh, the coming of Christ, of asking, what is it that you want? What is it, what are your desires, what are your wants at this Christmas season? All of us have them. Uh, We have been indoctrinated, if you would, to create within us this uh, desire for things, uh, to create a wish list of things that we uh, want. And what we're going to be looking through together over these next several weeks is asking, what is it that you want for Christmas? And is it the same as what Christ offers you? Because maybe deep down you don't realize it, but what the scriptures teach and what we believe is that what you want, you want hope in your life. You want and desire deeply for love and for there to be joy and for there to be peace. Um, One biblical financial counselor said, "You you can buy fun, but you can't buy happiness. You can purchase things that are fun, but you can never purchase those things which deeply satisfy and settle the soul. And so over these next several weeks together, we're going to look at various parts of the scripture of how Christ in his initial coming, Advent means anticipation, it's a season of anticipating, and for us, we're kind of in an odd place. I mentioned it earlier in the service, we're in a place where we're looking back, Christ has already come. Uh, The Lord has already taken on flesh, that he came and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth, and that he lived here on this earth for 33 years, that he was fully human and fully divine, brought together without corruption or confusion, and that we know that he came fulfilling all of the promises of the Old Testament, that Christ would stand in with incredible boldness, uh, stand in front of the leaders of the church of his day uh, within Palestine and in Israel, and he would say, today in your midst these scriptures have been fulfilled. Today the kingdom of God is at hand. Today the Messiah is here. And all of his work uh, was a pointing to the fact that he was truly the Messiah, the coming one, Emmanuel, God with us. And then we know that he lived and then he suffered in our place, uh, that he died the death that we were supposed to have died for the punishment of our sins. And he who was sinless, who was spotless, who was blameless, took our place as a substitution for us and that the full wrath of God dwelt upon him that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that he then died, was buried, that he experienced for us a hell that we, the believer, will never experience, that the Father turned his face away from his Son, and that Christ experienced a separation in that for you and for me and for all of those who are in Christ, in him, will never experience, and that is the Father's turning. And then after three days, he rose from the dead and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father and that the throne, that the throne is occupied and that the tomb is empty 
and that we celebrate now not His first coming per se, but we look forward with anticipation to His coming again one day, right? That He will come again. And so when we say, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and set thy captive people free, we're saying, that's us. We know you came and you set us free from the bondage of sin and death, and we've been looking at that in the first eight chapters of Romans over these last several months. We said we know that we've been set free, but we know that we haven't been fully set free, that we still wrestle with sin within our life, that we know that we're no longer under the dominion of darkness and that we're in the kingdom and the dominion of light within this king, God, his kingdom, but that kingdom isn't fully realized yet, for the king hasn't returned yet. But oh, one day the king will return. And that will be a glorious day for many and a terrible day for others. And it's a day that we look forward to. It is a truth and it is a reality about who Jesus Christ is, that he came and that he is coming again. And it is upon that truth that we place our hope. It is in that that we trust and believe and, and and stake everything upon it. I remember being asked as a young person, I still can remember the room I was in in the church at Hickory Grove Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the Sunday school teacher said, what happens if this all is a lie? What happens if all of this stuff about the gospel, about the truth, about the, the Bible, about Jesus, what if it's all a lie? And in the depth of my adolescent brain, in the depth of my thoughts, I looked up and went, well, I guess my dad's out of a job. I'm a preacher's kid. Wow, that was profound, wasn't it? And I thought, though, now of that same question that came back to mind. What if all of this is a lie? What if this is just 66 books of fairy tales, and of Narnia, and of Middle-earth, of good versus evil, but it's not real. I realize my answer is different. I'd be absolutely hopeless. Nothing would have meaning at all in this world if there's not a creator who gives meaning to it. Nothing would have hope of redemption in this world. My failings would be failing, pure and simple, and without opportunity for change. There would be no need for anything good. There'd be nothing. Yeah, I'd be out of a job. But who cares at that point? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The Stoics had it right. The Epicureans understood it. If this isn't true, then they're right. But if this is true, if this is true, and we believe that it is, we are willing to stake our hope upon it and what it says. And we will not be shaken and we will not be moved. And we realize that it is only by this truth and this reality that we make it through this life with any semblance of joy and of happiness, of love, of peace, of any of these things that the world promises and offers but can never follow through on. And so we come this morning and in this season of Advent and we look and we ask today, or we say today, 
all I want for Christmas is, and for me today, and what you're going to hear today is this, all I want for Christmas is hope. For I promise you, we live in a world that is so without hope. There is a darkness, and there is a perversion, and there is a sadness and a sickness that so many people have lost all hope. And the believer and the follower of Christ says, but we haven't. And so we shine. We'll talk about that later. We shine within the midst of darkness. We live differently. We think differently. We move differently. We feel differently within the world. Everything about us is different because we have a hope that this world doesn't have. And our role within this world is to share that hope with all of those who God brings into our path. So let us ask his blessing upon this time together. God, we do come and we pray that you would enliven our hearts and remind us of the hope that we have. Remind us that we find it in Christ and not in this world. Forgive us when we have placed our hope in the war horses and in our own armies and the strength of our own arm the strength of our own might. And Father, would you lead us in the way everlasting and would you lead us back to yourself and that we would fear you and trust you and place our hope in your covenant promises. This we pray. To Christ be the glory. Amen. To the choir master, a maskal of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 42. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Why is there so much turmoil within me? Hope in God. Put your trust in Him. Praise Him again. So as we come and we look at that simple verse, which may seem out of place for Advent, the psalmist wasn't necessarily speaking of the coming of Christ. He wasn't looking forward to Messiah, per se. But he was talking about hope. And he was saying something about uh, what we do with misplaced hope. Because that's what he's saying. It's been said that you should preach to your heart more than you listen to your heart. You should talk to your heart more than you listen to your heart. For we live in a day and age where the heart rules. If it feels good, do it. If that's what you feel, then you should go for it. If that's what your heart is leading you to do, that's what you should do. And the psalmist would say, that's crazy. 
For here's what I know about the heart. It is deceitful above all else. And it is wickedly tied to the fall. And it will misguide me. It will mislead me. It will deceive me. It will place in front of me phantoms of hope. It will place in front of me mirages in the midst of a desert that I'll run to and find that when I lap up the water of the mirage, it's nothing but sand. That I feel like I'm in the midst of this colossal sea of life and that I'm in this little lifeboat and it's telling me to drink the water and I look down and I drink the water and all of its saltiness drives me crazy. That everything in it deceives me. And what we need to do, what the psalmist says to do, is preach to your heart. Is to say to your heart, heart, why are you downcast? Why are you hoping in the wrong things? Because the wrong things that you're, in which you're hoping have led you to this distress and inner turmoil. And that the reason you aren't experiencing a hopefulness, the reason you aren't experiencing the fruit of hope within your life, is that you're believing and trusting in wrong things. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Here's why. You're trusting in something else other than God. So preach to your hearts. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a few things about this biblical hope and that when you preach to your heart, it would be good to have some material to preach to it. It'd be good to have an outline, if you would. You don't want to just get up extemporaneously and just go for it. But you want to be systematic. You want to be exacting. Uh, You want to be insightful. You want to step in not on a kindergarten level. But you want to step in with an advanced degree in the knowledge of the flesh and its sinfulness and all of these things and these falsehoods that are presented in our world and be able to present with incredible beauty, with incredible delight, To present to your own heart that which it should rejoice in. That's part of your role in your own life. You do realize that, right? That you are to present the gospel, the beauty of the king to your own heart. And say, oh heart, why are you running after that? Why are you running after that? Run after this. Run after him who pursues you. And so the first thing that we need to do is rightly define hope. We need to rightly define hope. And one of the best ways to rightly define or properly define or correctly define hope is to show what it's not. What hope is not, what biblical hope and Christian hope and therefore true hope, what it is not is not what our culture promises us. It is not that I hope I get this and I wish for this Uh, And I'm really wanting this, and I hope that it's going to happen. I hope that Daddy uh, comes home from work early today. Now, Daddy normally works 12-hour days, and I have absolutely no foundation for that hope, but I'm hoping that Daddy's going to come home from work today. And when Daddy doesn't come home from work today on time, guess what I find myself? I find myself disappointed again because I was just wishing and not truly hoping. Well, I hope that I get an A on that paper. I really do. I hope I get an A on that paper. Now, I haven't studied. I haven't written anything yet. I haven't worked on an outline. I haven't gone to any original sources. I'm not exactly sure what the topic of the paper is supposed to be, but I sure hope that I get an A on it when I, when I turn it in. And then when you get that wonderful F, or maybe you spelled your name right so you get a D, 
And you go, I'm disappointed. What happened? Or you go, boy, I hope that things will be different this year. I hope that my marriage is stronger this year. I hope that my family is more at peace this year. I hope that things will be different for me. But then you do nothing to change any of your circumstance. You don't work at all on your marriage. You keep doing the same things over and over and over again and wonder why you come out with the exact same response and results. And you become lost. And you've lost hope. For you see, our culture throws the word hope around as nothing more than wishful thinking. They base it upon the circumstances of the day, on the realities of this world. But hope is not that. Our hope, Christian hope, true hope, isn't based on movable things. Christian hope, true hope, and I'm equating those two, I hope you hear that. I don't want you to just come and you're in investigating the Christian faith and you're going, oh, well, that's the Christian definition of hope. No, what I'm trying to show you is that there is one definition of hope and true hope is the biblical definition of hope. And what you've been offered in the world today is a lie. It's a fallacy. It's a distant cousin that has some of the same characteristics of hope, but it will never follow through and fulfill. You see, the foundation of our hope is outside of this world. And therefore, the circumstances of this world have no bearing upon it. Because our hope is settled somewhere else. Its point of origin is somewhere else, someone else. Then the things that happen in this world don't shake us in the same way that they shake those whose hope is in this world. You see, we believe that our hope comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to unpack that later. And that we realize that our hope is grounded and founded within the Word of God. And in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it says that God never lies. And we believe that in God's Word, He says this is what hope is. Well, then we believe that this is what hope is. Because God says that He can never lie. And that this is His truth that we have here in the Bible. That's why, by the way, as an aside an attack on the integrity of God's word absolutely undermines everything in your life. If part of this isn't true, then none of it is true. If part of this is fallacy, then you can't stake your life on any of it because who determines what's true and what's not? But God said, this is my word and I never lie. And I tell you this in Hebrews chapter 6, right after that statement of God never lying. He says this, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what is Christian hope? Christian hope is an anchor that on the other end of that rope, isn't a philosophy, isn't a religion, isn't a you doing more of something and less of something else. It really doesn't have anything to do with you. It is an anchor that at the other end of that rope is Christ Jesus himself, 
our great high priest who has entered into a place where no human being could have ever gone without fear of destruction and he walked right into the very presence of God and he absolutely assuaged all of God's wrath against us, all of his punishment and justice it was taken on by Christ, our high priest, that beautiful one who went into this place and he says, now I've firmly established myself in the presence of God, the king, the judge. And now I promise you this, folks. I ain't moving. It's a little southern. But I ain't moving. And that means that everybody that I have and everybody who trusts in me will never be moved as well. You see, we view hope in this way. We view an anchor in this way. You go out into uh, the Calabogie Sound and you drop your anchor straight down and you hope that it hooks onto something down in the water and the waves will come and the tides will come up and they'll come down and the boat won't move much. It'll move just a little bit. And that's, a, that's a one picture of an anchor is that idea that it goes down, it attaches to something and it keeps everything that's attached to it from moving. But there's another picture of an anchor that was much more of an ancient Near Eastern picture. And in the ancient Near Eastern, in the Mediterranean Rim uh, there was a sense in which an anchor would be where your boat or your vessel was coming in and it needed to get into port because there were storms that were coming. And you were being buffeted by the storms and you were still out on the open sea. And as you were coming into the port, you couldn't get in there because if you've been uh, around in the Mediterranean Rim, so much of it has the high crags and the mountains and they're dangerous to get into the safe harbor. And so from within the harbor, a small boat would come out with a very large rope attached to it. And it would come and it would take that rope and it would attach it to your boat. And then you would be pulled into safe harbor. That's more of the picture that the writer of Hebrews has here of an anchor. The anchor Christ of your soul is attaching himself to you and pulling you into safe harbor. He's pulling you into a place and he says, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to make sure that you make it in here. I'm going to make sure that the winds are going to blow and that the seas are going to billow and all of this is going to happen, but I have a hold of you. And I promise you that I'm never, ever going to let go. And you can trust in me. You can trust in the one who's at the other end of the rope. Think how hard that must have been if you're the captain of your boat. You mean I'm giving up my freedom to guide and direct the boat. Yes, sir, that's what we're asking you to do. So you're telling me that there's somebody who I haven't seen on the other end of this rope, on a dock that I haven't seen, and this person is going to pull me, and persons are going to pull me into safe harbor. Yes, Captain, that's what we're telling you to do, that you have to let go of control of your boat, and you have to trust somebody else to bring you into safe harbor. Trust me, they'll get you there. God is saying the exact same thing to you, that your hope, is an anchor moored to somebody other than yourself. Paul says a hope that is seen isn't hope at all. But we believe in something that we can't see. We can't touch Christ today. We can't feel him in that way. But we believe in him by faith and we trust in him by faith and we see him, if it were, in that sight of faith. And he says, trust me, I'm at the other end of the rope and I am your strong anchor And I will get you home. I am not a wishful thought. I am not a Christmas list. I am not just your wants in life, but I am your firm, absolute, safe harbor. And I will get you there. That, friends, 
is hope rightly defined? And so as we take back to the psalmist and we say of the psalmist, why so downcast, O my soul, put your hope in God. You need to preach first to your heart proper hope. What are you defining as hope? What are you showing as hope in your life? And then take the truth of the Bible and apply it to your life and go, no, 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 heart. This is hope. That's a wish. That's a wish. A hope is secure and it has a firm foundation. So, rightly defining hope is first and paramount within your life. Now, what we're going to look at is a couple of keys to developing hope, or really what you should be preaching to your heart. These keys that, should, that you should use to develop hope within your life. Well, the first is this, and it sounds odd. You should first preach to your heart, or the first key uh, is to remember that you were once hopeless. Remember that you were once hopeless. It's amazing how often through Scripture that the hope of the gospel comes in terms like this. Remember that you were once not a people, but now you are a people. Remember that you once didn't have a name, but now you have a name. Remember that you were once in slavery, but now you were freed. Remember that you were once an orphan, but now you're an adopted son or daughter of the king. Remember that you were once dead, but now you are alive. Remember that you were once lost, but now that you are found. Remember your lostness. Remember your hopelessness. That's not an enjoyable process, by the way. Because what you have to do is with rigorous honesty, look back at your life and look and say, I was lost. I was without hope in this world. Save Jesus Christ. And the words of the writer of Ecclesiastes would come into mind and you would see that under the sun, that this is an evil than all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. What he is saying is it is better for you to consider and ponder for a moment the deep and dark realities of your lostness, for in it is a springboard to the beauties and all the glory of the hope that you find in Christ. Why would Christ be something of hope if you never found yourself to be hopeless? Why would it be good to be found by Christ if you never considered yourself lost? Why would it be important for you to have been given uh, a new life, a new heart, if you never believed that your first heart was dead? Why is it important uh, that you are out of slavery if you never believed that you were out of slavery? It's important to remember who you once were. That's what Paul says. When Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works while God, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you 
were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ bringing you near doesn't mean much to you if you never thought you were far off. The gospel makes no sense for good people. It makes very little sense for religious righteous ones. But for folks who recognize their lostness and their hopelessness, the promise of the coming of Christ, it's, it rings within us. And it says, that's what I'm hoping in. Because I know me. I know who I am. And who I was. And now who I am. And folks, this isn't just a cognitive memory that I'm trying to get you to consider, but I want you to feel it. I want you to pray to God this week and ask Him to bring it back into your mind of what it was like to be hopeless. To ask Him to bring it back and then for you to consider the realities of your plight without Christ. To for a moment step away from the glitz and the glam and all the feel-good of the day and come into a moment to say, God, remind me of why I need you. Remind me again of what I was like without you. And that's a beautiful, beautiful time. So that's one of the things that you need to do in preaching to your own heart. Preach your hopelessness, how you once were to your heart. Say, oh, heart, don't think you've got it now. Let me remind you who you once were without Christ. And another key to developing hope, another key to preach to your own heart is to identify false sources of hope. We already heard it in the psalmist when he said, war horses will never and the strength of armies will never deliver you. Or if you read in Jeremiah chapter 2, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? and went after worthlessness, and became worthless. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What he's saying is this. Where are you placing your hope? And he compares them to cisterns hewn by human hands. A cistern, we don't live in this kind of day and age anymore, but a cistern was one that was dug by human hands, and then you would go and you'd get the kids or you'd get uh, whoever it was, the servants, to come and to fill up huge things of water, and they would come and pour into the cistern, and that cistern was your livelihood. You had to have it for your, for your uh, crops to grow, for your family to have water, for your uh, livestock to be able to live. And what you found in this was you one of the intrinsic values of a cistern is it constantly in need of refilling. That you have to work and to refill it constantly. And the kind of cistern that he says here is a cistern that's made with your own hands and it's cracked. It leaks. He's saying you're putting your hope in similar things. You're putting your hope in this world in things that you think you can control because they're made with your own hand. You like being in control and in charge. He's saying, but I want you to be honest about them. Look at them. 
Look and even go back to the words of Haggai. There's a little read for you this afternoon. The minor prophet Haggai is about that thin. You can finish it, I promise. And in it, God says this. You've forgotten me. And because you've forgotten me and you have placed your hope in all the things of this world, you try to drink wine to get drunk and you can't drink enough to get drunk. You try to eat to stuff yourself, but there is not enough food for you to be filled. You place, wa- you place wads of money in your purses and you think that you're wealthy and when you reach in, there's holes in the purses. You wrap yourself in cloaks, but you'll never be warm enough because you're running to false places of hope. You're running to cisterns. You're running to things that will only ultimately disappoint you. Here's a good exercise as you want to identify these in your life. Let me ask you about this past week. Were any of you disappointed this week in anything? All of you were. And if you weren't, there's another week coming. (laughs) But here's what I want you to do as an exercise. I want you to write down all the things that disappointed you this week. Take a moment and write down all the things that disappointed you this week. I'm not saying you have to share this. It's not show and tell. But I want you to write them down because here is what that can show you. It can show you where you are placing your hope. That you're placing it in things other than God. And they disappoint you. That that event, that family event, that lunch on Thursday, uh, that promotion at work, that date that you finally got, uh, that whatever it is, that you look at it and you went to it and you went, "Ah, I finally got it. And you sink your teeth into it and you're like, this is going to satisfy so deeply. And all of a sudden the words of Ecclesiastes come back, cotton candy of cotton candy, all of life is nothing more than cotton candy. It looks so tempting, but when you bite into it, it only leaves a sticky residue that never fully satisfies your appetite. So many of you, you find with the psalmist in Psalm 42, why so downcast, O my soul? You're so downcast because you're running to empty cisterns. And you're expecting them to give you life and right beside it. It's almost the picture that's there. It's right beside it. You run to these empty cisterns and you forsake me, the Lord says, the fountain of living waters. So here's the key then for how is it that we find our hope? What should the heart turn towards? And what should the heart hope? God says, it's in me. For I am a fountain of living water. Isaiah says, I am the springs of living water. I am there. I am perking up out of the ground. I don't need your help. I don't need your effort. I am a self-sustaining spring of eternal life and joy. And I am in my place. And all I need for you to do, all I want for you to do, the Lord is not needing your assistance. He's not wanting anything more than for you to come as one who is like the deer panting for streams of living water. The picture is of a deer that has gone back to a wadi. A wadi is a, a, 
a dried up river that in the rainy season it would be flush with water, but in the dry seasons it's nothing more than a creek bed that is dry and it's cracked and maybe it's muddy and diseased. And the deer has come back to the place that it thought it could find life and it is panting, it is heaving for something. And the Lord says, come to me when you're that thirsty. Come to me with that kind of need and drink from my waters and I'll satisfy you. That's why my son came. My son came to be a hope to the Gentiles. My son came to be that hope for you, that water for you. He came to just let you drink it up. I've used this picture so many times because it is the best one that God gave in the scriptures. He says, do you want to glorify God? Then go and be satisfied in him. If you're thirsty, run to him. It's almost as if God was confused in Jeremiah when he says, what wrong did your fathers find in me? Was there something that I did that caused them to run after worthlessness and become worthless? And the answer is no. They found no fault. There was nothing wrong with God. If there's a problem in this equation, here's a little insight. It's always with me and you. If there is a problem in your relationship with God, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, I promise you this, it's not on his end. He is constant and he is perfect and he is never changing. It's us who have found him to be worthless and we run after other things and here's the thing about running after other things, you become just like them. You become worthless is what the scripture says. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? It's an imperative, by the way, not a suggestion. We'll end with it this way. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Turn to him and say, today, I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to turn to him. I'm going to place my hope in him. I'm going to, with every faculty that I have, by the power of the spirit which lives in me that is greater than he who lives within the world, I am today going to move my hope from these things and I'm going to place it on Christ. And I'm going to try it just for a day. And see if he disappoints. And here's the promise that I can give you. He won't disappoint you. You see, Jesus said that I am the light of the Gentiles. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to look to Christ. He is our light and our hope. He is, as one writer put it, a deep reservoir from which to draw. So when you have a bad day, He's still there. And you can go and you can drink. And I don't have time to read it, but I'll put in front of you to read on your own Isaiah 60. And the first verse of Isaiah 60 says this, and I'll invite the team to come on up while I'm talking. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. What a great picture, isn't it? That for those who have found their hope in Christ, for those who have found him, he says, now arise and shine. You are transformed. You are different. The world is going to be looking. They need to see this within you. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. He's made you beautiful in him. 
that this hope that you have distinguishes you from the world and that we celebrate this hope not only today but throughout this whole season. Why so downcast, O my soul? Ah, I know why. I haven't placed my hope in God, but I will at this moment. And to help you to that end, we are going to stand and we are going to sing and we're going to preach to our hearts this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing.